Well, hello there, Liberty listeners. We sure have missed you. We hope this finds you well and your 2018 off to a great start. Our 2018 is actually off to a very exciting kickstart. That's right. We are kickstarting our very next Liberty platform, and we need your help to bring this to life. For the last three years, um, we have been dreaming up a publication that serves women ready to engage their entrepreneurial side. And we wanted to create something that allows women to put pen to paper, to be intentional about what's next. And so we're finally ready to make that happen. What makes this printed publication a little different is its equal parts magazine and journal, which is why we're calling it an editorial journal. It's a beautifully designed biannual publication that celebrates the women who are making their mark specifically to inspire and equip women who are ready to launch and grow their own venture. And each issue of Liberty is divided into three section, three sections. There's a dream section, a live section, and a give section. And we want to provide the reader a glimpse of women at these various stages along their own entrepreneurial path. So for example, the dream section would highlight stories, advice, tips, resources, everything from the early stages of that woman launching her career, why she did it and how she did it. The live section digs a little deeper into the daily lives of these various entrepreneurs and creatives, asking them how they actually do it. What's the day-to-day look like? How do they automate things? What are the apps that they're using? How are they juggling work and life? And it's sort of the keep it real section. And then the last section is the give section. And this really focuses on the why and and what women are doing to make an impact. We're asking them, who are they serving? Why are they serving? Who are they hoping to have an impact on, whether it's their customers, employees, the world, or even their own lives? And throughout each of these sections, we provide a space for you to record your own thoughts, consider your own possibilities, list to-dos, and really enable you to take your dreams from ideation to actualization. So through this Liberty uh, editorial journal, we were committed to scaffolding you with a little bit more than that. We've, you've got this girl. We wanted to provide a little bit more meaningful, actionable advice, as well as resources and tips that will get you to the next steps and ultimately help you realize your potential both in business and in life. So our Kickstarter campaign, please check it out. Go to kickstarter.com, search for Liberty, and we'll pop right up. And there's a couple things that you need to know. You need to hurry and get to the site because this will end, this campaign will end on January 31st. And so we need your support. We want you to check it out. We want your feedback. Go see what all the fuss is all about. The other thing we want you to do is we want you to share this information. Tell those girlfriends who are considering what could, what 2018 could be for them all about what we're doing. We think that they might be interested and it may be a great resource and tool for them. So thanks for taking the time to listen to us talk about this campaign. Please do check it out. Again, it's kickstarter.com and search for Liberty. And now on to this week's interview. We hope you'll enjoy this Liberty session. Hello, thanks for stopping by Liberty Sessions, where we unpack one woman's entrepreneurial journey to help another woman launch her own. I'm your host, Netta Jones. 
Please join me as we start liberating dreams one episode at a time. Well, hello there, Liberty listeners. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of Liberty Sessions. And this week, we have the honor of listening to Heather Trilling from Trilling Landscape and Lumber and Linen. Heather, thanks so much for coming. Thank you for having me. Of course. It's a pleasure. So why don't you tell us a little bit about your two businesses? Well, my core business is Trilling Landscape and Design, and that was started about 14 years ago. It's a design-build company. Uh, We do all outdoor environments, and there's really nothing that we can't do from start to finish. And my second company, uh, which is due to launch in January 2018, very exciting, is sort of a pivot from Trilling Landscape. Uh, We offer um, outdoor lifestyle accessories and goods all with social good behind it. But it's a pivot... I mean, it's a pivot in that it's a product-based business versus the service that you've been providing, but it's completely, it it completely makes sense. It goes hand in hand with the service that you provide in that you can actually outfit the outdoor space with your product, right? Yes. Was that intentional? Was it, I want to stay in this space or was it more about, I want to create a product or actually I kind of know a little bit of this story or was it that I really want to do something that has that do good sort of social impact piece? Yeah, I think it was all of that. I um, really had a very busy landscape design and contracting business that runs full time. And so when I would finish the spaces with all the construction, I was always on to the next construction. And I would have clients kind of, and I would go back and f- take photographs of the space and it was beautiful and pristine, but there was no people in it ever. And there was yeah. no like frosting to the space, you know, yeah. for lack of a better word. And people would say, oh, well, I need furniture and I need this and I need that. And I didn't have any of that. And I would sort of say, okay, well, here's an interior designer and give them a call and I would be on my way. And then I started to really lean into that conversation a little bit more um, with clients. And one client in particular really pushed me and said, I want you to do it. I don't like anything out there. I want you to figure it out and design me furniture and fabrics, and I want you to do it. And that was, instead of me running from that, which is a little bit of how I felt, I thought, you know what? I'm going to try this out. See see what I think about I it. I can do this. Yeah, I cool. can do this. So I'm going to take us back just a, a few years. Tell us prior to Lumber and Linen and even prior to Trilling Landscape, what was your background? Because you you did, hadn't studied as a designer, right? No, no. I, um, I remember as a child now looking back how much I loved being outdoors and how much I loved gardens and how much I loved painting. And so I always was creative and artistic, but... Never thought of that. That was just a hobby. And yeah. that was, I, I grew up in a family with a lot of high achievers and our, you know, you, you were told to pick a, a, a degree, professional, a professional career, career yeah. that had, Safe you know, path. went to college for something that, you know, you had something to show for. And so I just sort of did that, but I danced around in a lot of different things. I was a journalism major, child development. Then I was like, gosh, I don't know. And then I went back, I did some volunteer work and I decided that I wanted to work as a nurse, which really, really is a part of me. It yeah. definitely spoke to me. And I I went, I got my master's at UCLA and I became a nurse practitioner for pediatrics. And I worked at UCLA and I loved my job. I really did. I, I felt what 
when I look back now, what what really filled me up was just being in a healing environment, mm. connecting with people and just being part of people's most precious moments in life and just holding their hand throughout that. That was really special to me. Um, I was... Do you want me to go into my story? Yes. <laughs> okay. It's such a good story. <laughs> okay. Yes. I'm hoping you will. So I was um, home with my third, I was taking maternity leave with my third child. And I was, um, I had gotten over, we had bought a home a few years prior and I had gotten really into gardening. And um, I had talked to different people and had them help. I had ideas for my yard and I had different people help me create our own space. And, um, I started helping neighbors too. Like a couple of neighbors would say, Oh, I love, I love what you've done. Can you help me? And I said, of course. And so I would help neighbors and friends. And one day I was sitting with my uh, daughter and the doorbell rang and it was a gentleman who handed me a card and said, hi, I'm I forgot his name. He's a great guy. Amazing man. <laughs> that I should so remember handsome. We love forever. him forever. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> he said, I'm from HDTV and I'm a scout and I would love, we're looking for a designer for a show and we would love the name of your designer. And I was just speechless at the moment. Yeah. And I said, wow, that's so flattering. And it's actually me and it's my hobby. And thank you so much. And I proceeded to start to close the door. And he said, well, you have my card. And if you know, if you want to audition for the show, give us a call. So I remember going into my daughter's room and sitting there with her. And, you know, there was two sides of me speaking. One was saying, this is the craziest thing I've ever, this is a sure. joke. Like, yeah. obviously, Heather, like, that's very nice, but you would never call him back because you're a nurse and you, that's who you are. And you are not a designer and you will not make a fool of yourself and go in front of a group of producers and try to, you know, portray yourself right. as that. So I, but then there was this other part of me that said, God, wouldn't that be amazing if I actually could do a job like that? Maybe it would only be one show or two shows or maybe, or maybe not at all. But like, what is that whole world like? Yeah. Like, I don't even know that world. And I don't know that's, it was out of my character and I was usually played pretty safe, but I just said, you know what, I'm going to go. And I don't even know what came over me. So, and I also thought about, you know, I was looking at my daughter and I was thinking like, as a mom, you want your children to just go for it. Yep. You know, there's so many parts of ourselves and sometimes we don't even know that they exist and you want to just embrace when life like knocks on your door, you want to embrace it. So I went to Hollywood, I sat under the lights and did my thing, which I actually wasn't that difficult. They basically showed me different pictures of gardens and said, what would you do? What would you do? And I just had to kind of talk off my top of my head. And I, um, they told me right then and there, they said, okay, we'd like you to be on the show. Are you, what's your schedule like? You know, so that's. <laughs> Hang on. Let me just check so in with that. my other whole life. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. 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 So that's kind of, um, you know, and I kept my job at the hospital, mm -hmm. um, because I, yeah, I needed to do that thing. and that was safe yeah. and I didn't know how long this was going to be lasting. And, um, so, but from that, I just got you know, involved in this whole world. I ended up launching a business that took its own life on after that. And, um, you know, slowly I had to cut back and cut back. And then I wasn't working it at all anymore at the hospital, which was maybe about a year after. And that was hard because, yeah. you know, that was, that was what I defined myself as. Mm -hmm. I was defined as a nurse. And, um, you know, my, I think it was hard for me with my family because I chose a career, a creative path. And I think, 
probably the only reason why I was had the confidence at the time was because I was going to be on TV. And I felt like that my mom would approve of that. And mm-hmm. I look back and I, I just, I'm upset that I felt that way, but that's truly how I felt that I felt like, um, this is being externally validated, externally so validated. Has, and yeah. so now I look at life so differently and I realize that really it's not about external and you have to follow your, your, your gut and where your life leads you and what people compliment you on and what, you know, opportunities come and they, sometimes the universe tells you who you are and you mm-hmm. think you're something or you, or you're afraid of what it's saying. And in your case, you think you were that thing. You were a nurse. So it's the universe in your, to use your words, is telling you that you're more than, more than that one thing. It's not that you're not right. that, which I love about this story. Cause often it's, I was so unhappy doing what I was doing. Right. I needed to search out whatever I was passionate about. And then I found X, Y, Z. Right. In your case, you weren't unhappy. Right. You were right. quite happy and fulfilled. Right. Yeah. That's a little bit. And, but I guess the lesson in that is that life is this, this road and it's okay to go on another road for a little bit. Mm-hmm. Like you can always go back to, mm-hmm. you know, I mean, within reason, you have to obviously be respectful of your commitments and be, you sure. know, be careful that you don't close doors or burn bridges along the way. But this was an opportunity that came and I said, okay, I'm going to go and do this for a little while. Never thinking that 14 years later, I'd still be doing it. But that's how life wow. played yeah. out. Give us the, um, sort of what is the biggest difference or what has been the most stark difference between your path as a nurse and something that was a, uh, an honored profession, something that your family, your mom in particular, maybe appreciated versus going out on a limb in, in your case and doing something that was creative and unknown and even just the day to day of mm-hmm. having a schedule and going into a, mm-hmm. there's an organization, there's a physical building you walk into versus I'm going to go to the kitchen table and like, mm-hmm. so what was the, the most stark difference for you? Yeah, I think in, in um, the process of starting my own business, I realized how much I had entrepreneurship in my blood mm-hmm. because there are, you have to have a lot of self-discipline. You have to create your own time management boundaries because you're working out of your home a lot of, often in the beginning. Um, you know, but there's also like a lot of unknown, you know, you don't really, you have to manage cash flow. You have to manage, you know, learn like, what, how do you start a business? How do you, um, like there were so many things that I didn't know. Whereas when you're a nurse, you, you apply for the job, you go to work, you have your, your patients, you do your, you do what you need. It's, there's a lot of structure basically mm-hmm. that you, that's created for you mm-hmm. when you don't, when you, you know, so that was a big difference of like creating structure and knowing how much structure to create, to create success, because you have to figure that out. You have to figure out how much time do I spend do how much time do I spend on marketing? How much time do I spend on client acquisition? How much time do I spend, you know, on my design? How, how do I structure my meetings? And then how do I balance family? You yeah. know, whereas when you're at the hospital for 12 hours, you show up, you're there for 12 hours, your family takes care, you know, you figure that you out. Do that. Yeah. And then you come home and that stays at that, that all stays there and you come home to your family. So I think for me, the starkest difference was the work-family infusion Mm -hmm. that I had to be really mindful of because finding that balance is is just hard as a mom and as an entrepreneur and, you know, um, setting boundaries because clients always want you and opportunities are always coming and you have to learn how to filter that out and 
make family a priority. So I think that's one big difference. You, you're talking about it now, looking back after 14 years, can you go back to when you feel like I kind of figured it out? Not that you had it all down, but was that year three? Was it five? Like how long did it take you to finally say, okay, this is when the day ends, or this is when I stop taking client calls, or you know what, family, I'm an entrepreneur. I have some flexibility. I can go pick you up at two o'clock, but that means at eight o'clock, I may need to take a call. Like when did that sort of start to settle for you or make sense? Well, when you have a family, there's a lot of voices. So you're always, I think those voices helped me realize what was necessary, you Mm -hmm. know, listening to my husband, listening to my kids saying what they needed and really realizing like, okay, you know, this is working, this is not working. And then me setting it, which is great because when you're an entrepreneur, you can set those boundaries up. I started to then create um, managing the expectations of my clients. So telling them right away, like I don't work on the weekends and at evenings I'm not available. So you're kind of right away in the very beginning managing their their expectations. Because if if you're being pulled in too many different directions between family and your work and you're not speaking up, then you're, they're going to keep pulling. And when you speak up, then they say, oh, okay, I need to – like both right. sides, you know, kids, I'm not available from this hour to this hour because I'm designing, but I'm going to pick you up and then I'm right. I'm all yours then, you know. Yeah. And the same thing with clients, like knowing how to communicate what they can expect of you and your availability. And I think it's been a – it's an evolution of – of t- I mean, it's always different, you know. Um, I still haven't mastered the art of being on vacation and not, you know, taking work calls. It's very hard when it's your company. And, you know, uh-huh. so that that's something that I think um, is still really hard for me. Um, but, yeah, I think just being conscious and evaluating where you stand in all your relationships and because that's going to make you – productive and successful if your relationships are strong with your clients and with your family. If those are rocky, then you're sure. you're off. Sure. So and one thing I think as you were talking, I'm thinking the girls, so you have four daughters, they've they've been in different phases of needing mom. Yeah. And it 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 isn't what you think it is that they only need you when they're really little. Mm-mm. It's amazing how much they need you as they get older for emotional support and for yeah. formational they they're becoming full-fledged yeah. human beings with yeah. their own minds. And so that has to that has to factor in like okay, I used to I used to have to make sure they were fed and burped right. and diapers cleaned but or bottoms cleaned. But um now I have to make sure that I'm really present. present. Yeah. You, you can't get away with the like wandering eye or the my kids all bust me. They're like, "Are you even listening right now?" Mm-hmm. Oh, totally. What <laughs> yeah. did you just say? <laughs> what did you say? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, that is really challenging. But I think for me, again, it's being really conscious and intentional about what success, you know, I think being an entrepreneur, this, there's no ceiling, right? So you can always think of ways to innovate and more revenue streams. And you're always, you know, that's just a natural part of being an entrepreneur. And then when you're not doing that, you can think to yourself, oh my gosh, I'm not doing what I'm, I'm supposed to be scaling this. I'm supposed mm-hmm. to be. So I've been reeling that, that all these years I have to reel that urge in and keep – I've kept the business um, scaled to what my family can tolerate, sure. even when the business wants to grow. to grow. And I've seen it want to grow. And so that's hard because yeah. you see opportunities and people are like, hey, wow, why aren't you doing that? And you're like, because I can't handle that and I have to be 
available. I'm choosing not to handle I'm choosing that. not. And yeah. then you have to own that choice in a positive way. Instead of being like, gosh, girls, you know, I could be doing this or, you know, or even in your head yeah. saying, you know, because then again, you're not present yeah. in work. And in if, yeah. so I guess just really like, like being in line with what my values are, I'm always checking into my values because if my values are family and really having the strong relationship with my girls and being present, then that value has to transcend into how I structure work. So it's, it's literally a daily process. It's sure. not easy. And sure. it, it's, it's always a, always hard, but you know, my one time, I think a couple years ago, I was, and I think I told you about this, that I was like, gosh, I'm just going to go back to the hospital because this is yeah. just too much. Like my girls are teenagers now. And, you know, it just felt like I wanted that structure back and I wanted to leave work. And I was, you know, and everyone I told was like, what? what? <laughs> yes. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, this feels like I just want out right now. I want to push pause. And even my, so I sat down with my family and I told the girls and they cried the hardest. They wow. were like, I was shocked. I thought they would say, finally, yes. now you're going to be home. Yeah. You know, you're going to be gone for 12 hours, but then you're going to be home. And they were like, we love Trilling Landscape. We love all this. <laughs> this is so, we, how can you quit? And I was like, you're right. I'm not quitting. Let's end the conversation. Yeah. So again, like when you struggle and when you're at those moments, like reaching out to those that love you and saying, I'm losing my footing and like, should I let it, should I fall or should I keep climbing? Because mm -hmm. sometimes you don't even know how you're affecting people around you. You know, mm -hmm. you don't really know, like, are they proud of me or am I hurting them? Or, you know, I guess that's part of that whole entrepreneur thing when you have a family. It's just this constant checking in of, sure. you know... Where are we and should we keep... And a woman in any career or any a career. parent in any career who wants to be super present. I'm going to change totally. that language Yeah, and that was so important to yeah. me. Yeah. So that brings me very nicely into the next question, which is... So why you another company? Yeah, why another company, <laughs> so, now you're <laughs> so your girls are all teenagers. Yeah. So I have one that goes off to college and I'm like, okay. Yeah, no. I have an idea. Yeah. No, um, so well, we're talking about just for our listeners, we're talking about now Heather deciding that it was a great idea to introduce lumber and linen, and it actually was a great idea. There's a lot about that that is brilliant, but tell us what your kind of thinking was. Well, I think you have to grow and innovate at all times being a business owner. I mean, I think it's part of your makeup, and I think it's also just important for a business. So, Trilling Landscape has wanted to grow in a way that I really don't think I want to be a leader in that growth process, which is very large construction projects, um, multiple projects. Can I clarify something for, because they don't know, not yet, they don't know who you are. But um, so when you think of Heather doing these landscape projects, I want you to picture multi-million dollar homes and multi-million dollar landscape projects both commercial and um, residential. So we're not talking about somebody who's bringing over 20 potted plants and making a nice flower garden for you. We're talking about something that's very large scale because I think that gives them a real sense of mm -hmm. what you were growing from to what was the next level for you. We're mm -hmm. talking about projects that are in excess of five and $10 million. Mm -hmm. That was the ne next growth yeah. phase for you. So. so that was very exciting to know that the company could have that potential. But I knew in my heart, I was restless and I didn't know what I was restless about it exactly. And that's how, where you came in, Netta, mm -hmm. is that you, you so brilliantly helped me figure out where that was all coming from and what would be next steps for me. And it took two years for me to really define that. Um, 
part of it was me needing to have a greater, my, you know, my greatest strength is connect connection. Mm. So I knew I needed more of a connection. I know that I'm connecting with all these wonderful people, but I, I wanted something more and I wanted to be able to, to make a bigger impact. And I wasn't sure what that was going to be. And that had to evolve. And I knew that I started to really like, um, decor and outdoor spaces and being able to complete them. So I knew that that was going to be something I, I, I tried that. I liked that. I wanted to add it's more also of that. a natural gifting. I mean, having done the one project that you did and I got to see that work, you have a natural talent for that. So it's not just that you liked playing in that sandbox. You actually oh, have something you. to offer. Well, I think that's thank important you. for people that they well, yeah. hear that there's a talent. That's not just something I really like to do, but I actually have something to offer in that space. Yeah, I wasn't sure because that was the space. I mean, from designing custom furniture to designing fabrics and towel, outdoor towels, and you know, just putting together all of the outdoor space. I wasn't sure I was going to love that, and I wasn't mm-hmm. sure I was going to be good at it. So we we tried it. I loved it. It seemed to work. It also seemed to be a natural extension of what we, you know, yeah. already were doing. And we, I wanted it to be a lifestyle company. I wanted to not just leave you with this amazing couch, you know, fire pit built in bench and just, you know, I wanted to give you blankets for that and candles to go complete around it. that and complete yeah. it. So, um, that's sort of how the evolution of the idea came to be. And it felt good and it felt right. And it also felt like a good pivot from Trilling Landscape because it, I could use my existing client basis, but it also was a a business. The part that gave me such peace was like, this wasn't going to be about me showing up to meetings. This was going to be something that was going to be an e-commerce site where people could come and shop. And I had ideas of, of creating like shopping in rooms. Like, so someone in Wisconsin could shop in the Malibu beach room and get Mm -hmm. all that component, those, Mm -hmm. all those, those things in their space. And I felt like that was an, a way that I could share my my, my gift in, in a different way um, on a different platform instead of just being with my local clients. Sure. And then, but that wasn't enough. Like that still wasn't quite, I knew that wasn't where I was. And I um, knew that I wanted to connect with, I wanted to work with women, other women in other countries. And I knew that I wanted, there were so many beautiful things that I would, my clients would bring from their travels and we would use that as part of the spaces. And I thought, gosh, there's so many wonderful things out there, but there wasn't a shop that existed that had, you know, beautiful furniture, eco-friendly, low carbon footprint with using artisan pieces from around the world. There wasn't one place that I could go. Nothing for the outdoor space. Nothing for the outdoor space. A lot for the indoor space, but nothing for the outdoor space. And so I- And can I just say one of the dilemmas you had to overcome in that and you've been working on is- that you have, it just has to be durable. It has mm-hmm. to be able to withstand the wind and the rain and the and the yeah. weather. And often when you're in a developing country that's making all these beautiful things, they don't have to consider those things. Those aren't, those aren't issues. Right. So you had to overcome that. Yeah, I had to. And that really meant like a real true curation of really looking and, you know, really finding those products. And I realized that what excited me so much is being able to you know, find, you know, and you brought that to me when you came back from Africa, because I really had wanted to go on that trip, but it didn't feel like there was a lot going on for me personally. Again, that was that, that check in with my family and leaving for three weeks at that time just didn't feel like the right time. Yeah. But I knew next time that Sonetta goes and she shows me these amazing pictures and brings back these fabric swatches of this gorgeous fabric. And, um, I have a happen to have a meeting with one of my clients and who I have stacks of 
beautiful designer fabrics that are $250 a yard from the PDC. And I'm showing her swatches fun swatch. And I'm a little nervous to show her the little frayed edged um, <laughs> swatch <laughs> over here, but I'm going to get to it. So we go through the meeting and I pull it out and I'm like, well, I have these beautiful fabrics that a dear friend of mine picked up in Africa. It's a women's collective in Swaziland. And I think they're absolutely beautiful. And I'd like to show them to you. And she says, that's it. I want to do my entire backyard in that. So, and those weren't cheap either, by the way. That was no. probably the most sophisticated co-op. So, yeah, that well, that's still good because that's something to overcome. <laughs> that, yeah, that's a good thing because that's probably what I I need to stick with at yeah, this point. Yeah, but, yeah. Um, so we ended up doing a great um, uh, partnership with them, and we did some beautiful, um, a beautiful, a, a lot of different, and, and everyone I showed. Those, those swatches. I mean, there's a d- demand is there. I, I'm going to continue to to make that. And the fact that we can now support this collective ongoing. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I just realized how much more we can do. There's so much more. I mean, that was one project, you know, that we did yeah. that with. So that just became something so important to me to travel, find women, work with collectives, create our own lines, also buy what's existing and bring those products back and and use our platform to share them with the homes of our of our clients, but also as the company scales and grows with with the world. Yeah, so that yeah. gets to grow. I want to point something out, and I'd love for you to to share a little bit more about your process. You talked about you and I meeting over yeah. two years ago now, I think, and where you were. I mean, the things that you wanted are still the things that you're pursuing now. The idea you had didn't necessarily change. Perhaps the model changed yeah. a little bit, who you're sourcing, um, the way you do it, if you're including um, other manufacturers outside of the developing country co-ops. Some of those things have changed. And in that process, you and you have a you talk about your 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 thing is connecting and you are truly a connector. I've seen a lot of people come around you and um, want to support and want to facilitate your efforts. Mm-hmm. And to some degree, I think it clouded things for mm-hmm. you. Yeah. So how would you advise? And I don't want to get ahead of the the, the second part of the interview, mm-hmm. but I'd love for you to just talk about in your process being open and saying yes to so many people, mm. so many opportunities. And while it was worth it for you mm-hmm. to do that in the last two years, is there anything you wished, I, w- I wished I wouldn't have done that? Are you so pleased that you did because you have a better depth of knowledge or give us some wisdom around that process? Yeah, I never regret anything mm-hmm. because I feel like everything even if it's frustrating and a failure, mm-hmm. I still think I can learn from it. Of so course. yeah, there were things that I learned. I failed for sure the last two years. I tried to um, manufacture our there's own fabric. Slowed down. I think there's things that slowed well, that slowed you down. Slowed I don't... me down, or like tangents that okay. that were maybe not the right time. Okay. And again, I wasn't sure. Um, I wasn't. I I thought I was. I'm also need to be a little bit more patient. I think mm-hmm. as a I'm I'm very like a I'm a very task-oriented. I'm very goal-oriented. So if I want something, it's like, I, and maybe this particular time I should have slowed down a little bit. I think I rushed things when the timing wasn't right. Mm. And I think, um, well, things weren't right with my core business because I needed to be to restructure that and to reorganize that before I could throw myself into another business. But I thought that I could do it all. And so that, but that was a little bit of a failure or a setback to think that I could take on everything successfully mm-hmm. alone, right? Mm-hmm. 
So we did try to manufacture our own outdoor fabrics in China, which went through a client who had a connection for me because it's very hard to just decide you want to do things in China, picking up the phone and even if you speak Mandarin, like you have to have like references and you have to have like, they have to, there has to be a reason for them to pay attention to you. And the minimums can be out of control. Yeah, I had minimums. The minimums were, yeah, they were not attainable for me in a first year startup product business, you know. So, but I did go down that path and it was fascinating. Like I loved learning all of the different ways to Mm -hmm. deal with China and how it works and some really fun, it was really funny, like a lot of very interesting (laughs) things. Now it's funny. (laughs) It's it's funny. Yeah. Like, you know, thousands of dollars later, it's very funny. But, um, and then, um, and can I just ask, because again, I have a tiny bit of insight, but part of your need to go down the China path was to make things that were rather weather resistant and, and to close that gap where you would have been happy just using fabrics from developing countries, but that's not sustainable and nor is it great for the brand. Well, we, we are using, we are using those fabrics and we but are putting exclusively. them out exclusively. Exclusively. Okay. And, but we know we're, they're really a covered patio collection. Okay. It's not really yes. to be, or you put away, you know, yeah, it's not to be left out because they're, and they're, they're, they're an investment too. You know, yeah. you know, they're all organic and, but, um, and that's another thing you can't be organic and, you know, Real outdoor cushions have chemicals applied to them because they have to stand up against sure. weather. So that's just the way it is. So um, I, I I had just thought that it would be really cool to have our own furniture, I mean, our own fabric line that matched with towels. I thought that pool towels and fabrics matching, and we still want to do that, but that will be down the line a little bit. We're just not ready for for our own propriety line right now. It's just not. And don't you think the landscape of manufacturing will be changing towards something that's more organic and less chemical? I do think so. I mean, yeah. I mean, so it's impossible to find, as well. yeah, to find organic cotton, you know, is, is extremely difficult and very expensive and yeah. challenging. And there's only a few factories. So I do think the demand, I think we're just changing as consumers and I think the demand will create change. And opportunity yeah, for, for definitely. So, um, in, creating. So I, w- I want to clarify again, when you said earlier, you pivoted from trilling landscape, trilling landscape still exists and will exist. Right. So it's just the pivot was just in exercising some other muscles that you wanted to exercise for lumber and linen, but both companies will continue to yes. exist. What did lumber and linen give you that trilling landscape didn't just as a, as a creative, as an mm-hmm. entrepreneur, what was it about a product business versus a service business that you really appreciated or just enjoyed doing? It was just something so new mm-hmm. and just think it was just a whole different part of me, you know, just looking at fabrics and looking at furniture and putting together collections and imagining those pieces in spaces and then imagining people enjoying, like mm-hmm. actually taking it to the next level where they're really improving their, like their whole, I just pictured these lifestyle changes of, of entertaining and memories being made with just all these great products in addition to, to the space. Um, so that's, you know, kind of the ethos of lumber and linen of what I want people to, I want them to, I want to change their, change their space and also change their life. That's my goal is I really think our products, you know, can do that. But, um, the, the, the difference, you know, basically service-based versus product-based service-based, I have to be there. Mm -hmm. Well, 
for the that's how the, the model part. has yeah. been. But we've restructured, and I think the only way Lumber Linen actually could take off was if I became more. I became not the CEO. I became mm-hmm. creative and sales, mm-hmm. which cut my amount of time down per week to very little. Mm-hmm. And then I wasn't. I'm not part of operations mm-hmm. now. I'm not part of managing. I'm not part of all the phone calls and all the the things that day to day that I have done for so long. So I. I know how to do those things, but I, I've now delegated them and I never was able to do that. This is like a huge thing for me that I learned how to... It's very hard to give that baby away. I would delegate tasks, but I never knew how to delegate whole... cat. Like say to someone, you own this and to Mistakes trust and that. Yeah. yeah. You own this and I'm going to trust you. Yeah. And we're going to learn together and it's okay. Yeah. Instead of me saying, okay, you just do that one thing and I'll finish it up. Yeah. You know, because that, that would never free me up. Yeah. I, I hear that a lot. Um, and I know that myself, it's very hard to give that over for some good reasons and for some not so good reasons. Um, and so I, I can imagine it's hard to build a team. I think that's the hardest thing you need to, you cannot scale without a team and it's just may take time. You're going to hire people. It's not going to work out. You're going to have to, you know, restart over and then, but that's the team is like yeah. essential. And even, and now I value the team so much more. I mean, I don't even value myself as much anymore because I was the team and, and the creative. Sure. So I think we're a better company now because and, of that. And we can accept the growth now that we couldn't before. What was in that tr- transition and maybe just considering both lumber and linen and trilling landscape, what was the hardest part of? launching that second brand and what would you go back and say to yourself knowing what you know now what advice would you give yourself um i would say the hardest part was figuring out projections for me mm-hmm. financial projections because i um wanted to avoid as much failure as possible but i also know that marketing is a huge part of getting a mm-hmm. brand known. And I was a, um, I, we were strictly word of mouth business for mm-hmm. Trilling Landscape. Mm-hmm. So this, that's not going to work with product-based business. Right. And that's not the reach that we want to have. So, um, I think, um, the hardest thing was learning a whole new set of skill sets to then that needed to be put into my operation plan, like studying, like, okay, how is this going to work? How are the, what are the, all the people that we need? How is the operations? How is this going to run? Um, and then how do I translate that into, um, numbers mm-hmm. and predict the viability of this business? And again, I don't have an MBA. So I was like, I can't do this. But there, I started to talk to people yeah. and, someone, there's always someone to help you. Yeah. Like you think like when you get hit a roadblock, you're like, oh my gosh, I have no idea. If you start talking to people, there will be someone who will step up and say, oh, hey, I love that. I'll help you with that. <laughs> Absolutely. And that's happened to me time and time yeah. again in every area. So I had somebody who said, oh, I, I am like, I know, I know that. I know every algorithm. I know every spreadsheet. I know yeah. every formula. Like, oh, wow, great. Well, I'll give you a couple trees and you give me. <laughs> let's, let's do a little barter here. Well, and I, I have to say, I've actually, we did a panel some years ago and it was uh, three women, all Silicon Valley, all raised in excess of $5 million in their first round of funding. Wow. Some, one in particular, 20. And all three of them said to the audience, 
we are marveling at you guys who are launching your businesses without an MBA Uh and without capital. We don't know how to do that. We aren't the idea people. Somebody in two of the cases, the idea was given to them by a VC and they Mm. said, can you come run this? Mm. And so I just want to say for you saying, and to anybody out there who's like, I don't have an MBA. I can't do this. You absolutely can. In fact, good for you. Absolutely. Because that doesn't necessarily mean you have the drive, you have the vision, you have the idea. It's a degree. Yeah. It's a degree with a, with some learned opportunity. Mm -hmm. Go find those people and make them part of your team as a consultant one time, three times, 10 times, hire them if you can. Definitely. But you don't have to be there to run a successful company. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, so, uh, I want to kind of launch into the second half where Mm -hmm. we get to kind of squeeze your brain and get Mm -hmm. all the, all the resources and tips and goodness out of, out of Heather. Um, and one of the things that, well, there's two things in your story that I really want to kind of get our audience to learn from, uh, because I think it's unique. One is you had the service business that relied on you Mm -hmm. and you said, I want to launch this product-based business. And it was for all the reasons that you said, but there's another reason in there, which is this is scalable. This Mm product-based business, I can scale. Mm -hmm. It has no end. And I can also sell that at some point. You can sell both businesses, Mm -hmm. but I can actually retire on this one. Mm -hmm. I can, I can, which is not to say you can't with Trilling Landscape actually, Mm -hmm. but there's something you can do with the second one. And because of its scalability that you can't do with the first one, how much of that was part of your thinking and for somebody who's looking to introduce a second business, a second brand, whether it's a, a vertical mm-hmm. um, venture or horizontal, how much of that plays into their thinking or should play into their thinking? Like really think about what the long term of this one is. Really thinking, really think about the scalability mm-hmm. of that. That's absolutely where I'm coming from is that this is a scalable mm-hmm. idea and that <clears throat> it's something that's more... I can rely much more on the future than than my current business, and like a, there isn't really a limit. This that with, we can take sure. this anywhere. Yeah. But um, in terms of there's, I think your question's twofold. I mean, in terms of vertical, you know, I I think again, innovating constantly in a business. So if you whatever your business is, you have to think about what your clients want and what you're not giving them, and that allows for growth or your products, what are people wanting more of or accessories to that product or whatever it is that, that you can keep doing that in a product-based business, but, um, and then you can create more long-term, I mean, you never know, you might create another product through there sure. that, that that's the tipping point. Sure. Right. But I think, um, my advice is just to constantly be evaluating your business and figuring out what other types of revenue streams can I create from this business? Mm -hmm. It could be, there's so many different, I mean, that's a whole brainstorming session per, and it's very specific per business. But for me, I knew that I didn't, I knew the business was going to grow, but I knew I didn't want necessarily to, to, to run a company like that. But I knew I still wanted to keep running a company. And I knew that I was a little bit tired of being the service-based I was feeling like a little overwhelmed and exhausted by what a service-based business requires of me personally. And I knew this business was tapping into my creative side and I, there was no limits to where we could go with that. And 
but I'm also staying within my space. So I think mm-hmm. any business, there's a million different offshoot things yeah. that you can think of that can um, create another revenue stream and then something that might be more sca- more scalable. But there's some that are smarter than others. And what I've seen in your story is that it was such a smart next move. Not only was the demand there from your service-based clients saying, mm-hmm. hey, can you finish this and yeah. create product for me? But it's all in the same vertical and, and you're able to offer that and even tell your story as the founder of Lumber and Linen, tell your story as the founder of Trilling Landscape. You can mm-hmm. say, I came from this world and I saw this need and so we created it. It's a great story. Um, for those who are considering manufacturing a process, uh, manufacturing a product rather, so you told us a little bit about the China thing, you're manufacturing in, in Swaziland by, you know, buying these, these finished, are you finishing the products here in the States or yeah, are they finishing? We okay. finished the So you're, here. you're buying the fabric. Yeah. Um, what should we be looking for in sort of a vendor partner, a manufacturing partner? Because mm. you hear these nightmare stories of, mm. oh my gosh, I, you know, not only did I not speak the language, where wherever that might be, even if it's stateside, like I got taken advantage of because yeah. I don't understand manufacturing. What was, what made you comfortable enough in those first calls with your manufacturers, regardless of China or Swaziland? that made you go next step? Like, okay, these are going to be partners. Well, I can't really say that I did go directly because I had a client who owns a company that's that's the that liaison that. okay. between... But maybe that's what made you And that was the only reason I was comfortable. Okay. And because they had project managers on the ground there, um, they had seen the factories because I didn't want to... I need, wanted to know if these factories were, you know, ethical. I didn't yeah. know what was going on. So I used my client's company, which was the middleman between me. So for me, that was the only way I would have done it, which made it, which meant I made less. Yeah. Minimums were still the same, but I also had a, got, they got a foot in for me, which, you know, I don't know how you, you I really don't know how you go directly. Like if you say you have a product, um, and you just want to start, um, manufacturing, I think you have to start domestically. I think, I don't know if you can go directly to China. I mean, maybe you can. I just don't know if the I can speak to that. The stories we've heard. So for those listening, if you want to hear another story on manufacturing, listen to Ryan's um, from uh, Tin Parade. And she has a similar story. She knew somebody who was mm-hmm. in Australia who knew somebody who was manufacturing Yeah, you have to there. know someone. There yeah. Was, yeah. Mm-hmm. It, it, and it was that, much like your situation, she's like... I didn't know. I had to find somebody who knew what they were doing and go. That, yeah, that and again, route. I mean, we all know someone. I mean, honestly, yeah. you, if you know, so I we all know someone that has done it or know someone who knows someone. So if you just start asking, you will be led to somebody who manufactures. That doesn't for sure. mean you want anybody calling you. <laughs> no, 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 no. Do you know someone oh, yeah. in China? <laughs> no, I know. I I do, but don't call me. <laughs> don't call me. <laughs> no, and you know, honestly, like I thought one of the greatest books I ever read was Shoe Dog. Um, and you know, he just kept going there. He just kept going. We'll put that in your show notes. That's great. So that's a great book to kind of see how that, all that works and the grit that's involved in that. Okay. That's intense. So, so really it sounds like the lesson for our listener is knowing somebody who you trust, who has those relationships. In the beginning. But what about the Swaziland connection? What made you comfortable with that one? Well... I think I was really, I took a leap on that one. Mm-hmm. I was really passionate about. Well, you knew I had been there. I knew you had so been I there had seen, and I had seen pictures and you'd show me pictures of the factories and I had 
they had a contact, like a phone number, and they talked to them. She spoke English. Yeah, and <laughs> then I ordered a small amount and got it and tried, you know, put it outside, and I tried, you know, did a couple tests on it, and, you know, it worked, seemed really good. Yeah. We, um, yeah, I, I, that was a kind of a leap of faith, but you have to do a little bit of research, you know, website yeah. and calling the project manager and doing your own tests and seeing how, how it does. And, um, which takes time. I mean, yeah, all that takes time. You have to be really patient. Yeah. You have to be patient because you don't want to start selling stuff and then having all these returns and complaints. Yes. Cause then you're, you, it's not good. Yeah. 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 Okay. So you're, as we've talked about a very busy mother, you have four, you have one in college and three at home. You have two businesses. What apps, tools, resources, books, what things have really helped you to stay organized as a mom, to stay organized as a businesswoman, to like, what are the things that you just, I can't live without this, or this really changed the game for me and understanding how to manage life and work? I really think it goes back to the simplicity of really being in touch with your values and really, I mean, my favorite books one is called 10X. And then I also really think about, I'm conscious of every yes and every no. Mm -hmm. And I wasn't as conscious of that mm -hmm. until I read Jeff Schittemarker's yeah. book. And when you know how you make decisions and you know where, you know, where each decision comes from, like I, I though that has really helped me when I'm struggling with all the, the noise mm -hmm. of, you know, um, to be able to balance it all because you're, you are pulled in a hundred directions yeah. every single day. And you have to really be like, what am I doing today? And is this in line with my values? And, and if it's not, why are you doing it? And check yourself. And then, um, you know, as far as like just practical things, like for social media posting, I love Planoly. Mm -hmm. Um, I am a list maker every single night. I'm making my list for mm -hmm. the next day. I'm, I still do it like actually on like a regular calendar. Mm -hmm. I don't, and I put some in my, yeah, yeah, I still do yeah. it. I time block. Mm -hmm. So I'm really, so that I am realistic about my time blocking. And when that it's done, I'm done, you know, but I know that when I, the next day, there's another block of time yeah. to do that. And so, um, that's really helped me and putting myself on the list for sure. Like I used to be like, oh, no, I don't need yeah. to be on a list. But that makes me just be a better one. decision maker is when I'm taking care of some of my needs, like whether it's working out or seeing friends or being alone or whatever it is that I need. Um, you know, I'm not really – I can't really say I use a lot of apps. Mm -hmm. Um but I use my notes section on my phone all the time. <laughs> I do too. I love that. It's funny. And you yeah. can cut and paste and move things um, around. And it's just you just have to find what works for you. It's yeah. really it is a challenge and then but it is it is the it is the only it is the top need to be successful because if you can't manage your time. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, it's all yeah. a mess. It's, it yeah. is tough. And I with the time blocking thing. You're so right. It alleviates some of the stress when you know that I'll come back to this. Mm -hmm. I've created a window for this as opposed to, uh, I got to get this done now because mm -hmm. there, there yeah. is no next opportunity. Yeah. Um, yeah. I love time blocking. Um, okay. So we've heard a lot of entrepreneurs say that the struggle to manage um, other people after being solo for so long is really hard. It's like, I'm yeah. not a manager. I'm a visionary. I'm, you know, I, I got into this as a solopreneur. Yeah. And now as I'm growing, I really have to learn how to exercise that muscle. And you've talked a lot about 
how important it was for you to create that team and then to really give that team the freedom to grow and to make mistakes um, for the ultimately for the for 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 you and for the success of the company, what have you learned about managing a team that you'd love for our listeners to take away or just to say, I know it's hard, but hang on to this. I would say I'm still such a practical person in terms of like using tools. So for me, when you introduced me to strength finders, mm-hmm. everyone in our team has taken that test. Mm-hmm. So I know where their strengths are and I know how to it, that helps me initially. Mm-hmm. And also when they're weak in something, I can say, okay, I get it. That they're not doing, I'm, right. I'm, they're not in the right spot, right? right? Um, the other thing is different people's leadership styles have really helped me too. I, there was another, I forgot the name mm-hmm. of that quiz, but that's really, I'll get back to you on that one. <laughs> that one, that one. We'll ask It's really a good we'll quiz that's you, out there. <laughs> but helping understand, you know, um, who else can lead, uh-huh. you know, instead of just me, like who else can step in to co-lead sometimes, which was really, is, was helpful. But, I, um, managing, you just have to step up and do it. Like I just, all the time I say, I don't like to do it. I don't want to manage. And I spent years saying that. And then I was like, you know what? You're a leader. You got to manage. You got to figure it out. And so again, that was putting job descriptions, like actually having a job description for each person so that, that it was very black and white. Like, this is what I'm expecting of you and let's review it. And then let's circle back every, you know, six months and let's sit down and talk and then having regular reviews where we could say, you know, the benchmarks that I expected and it was clear from the beginning. So just clarify, I feel like so much about life is clarifying expectations. So mm-hmm. if it's clear to the employee what you expect of them and then they can meet those benchmarks and then you can then, you know, give them feedback and assist them along the way, it creates a lot less feelings and stress sure. in and you know for me that helped. So I guess putting more structure, which there was no structure to my managing before it was like we didn't really have meetings, we didn't really have reviews, we yeah. didn't really have any. So everyone was kind of like trying to please me, but they didn't really know exactly what. <laughs> and I was like, oh you did fine. But then I'm like, oh I'll just do that myself. Yeah. And that's all that's just not not a well it's not sustainable. It's not sustainable. It doesn't work. Um, so and processes, it doesn't let you I grow. Think. Yeah. I would also add to that that a, a good thing to do in in giving people titles and in setting expectations, which is brilliant. Uh, we will we'll make a quotable um, out of that one. But uh, but um, also making forcing forcing, but really encouraging those team members to write down what they do. So they Mm -hmm. almost create their own handbook. Yeah. And so let's say that person's sick or let's say that person quits or whatever the situation is, you haven't reinvented the wheel. You can, you've got something to go from. And if you don't have all the things in place that you just said, you can't do that. Yeah. I mean, I have to say I did hire someone to help me with that. Um, so I didn't create all that myself because that was really hard. I think that's some, if you're a creative and you're not really like, you don't like to manage, you may, my brain doesn't even think like that. Yeah. So I needed help with that too. But again, that's supplementing, finding mm-hmm. the people who are around you. Because there's people's that brains that work that way yeah. and they're like, oh, I, I know exactly this. how to do that. I got this. That's awesome. Yeah. Um, so you had talked a little bit about your business being largely, so Trilling Landscape yeah. business being largely referral based. And, um, and now 
there are people listening who are hearing, oh my gosh, and she had all this success and then she launched, you know, and she was on TV mm -hmm. and blah, 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 and then she launched this other business and maybe they forgot the 14-year piece. They, yeah. they didn't hear that. Yeah. How long did it take you to get to the point where your referral business was strong and something you could count on from an annual revenue point of view? Um, gosh. I mean, again, I didn't have... I kept things small because I had babies. So mm -hmm. I feel like for me, I was always maxed out in mm -hmm. terms of, but in, but I guess, uh, word of mouth, that's a hard question. I don't know. And, and again, we just started instituting metrics, business metrics, like maybe a year ago. Mm -hmm. So I didn't really analyze my business for a long time, which I highly discourage because, you know, really knowing, all of that really right. helps you. But um, so can you just clarify for somebody who doesn't know what you just, what, what you mean by that? Are? So what are the things that you instituted? Just knowing where business came from. Yeah, we started really analyzing like current clients, current, current, um, up, up interested clients. So there was like, you know, really just, a, it's like a snapshot of everything going mm -hmm. on. Like everything was in my brain, but this was all out. So who are our current clients? Who are the ones that are coming up? Who's actually signed? What is the revenue this month expected? What is the outgoing this month expected? That's essentially the bottom line of those metrics so that you kind of have a cash flow perspective at all times. We didn't really operate like that for a long time because we were just moving so quickly. And I didn't even know what business metrics were before. Yeah. So yeah. I was like, I don't. And then when I realized how great they were, then we started. And then weekly meetings to kind of go over that to make sure that that. Um, so... I would say for a long time, I don't think I can speak to a lot of strengths in terms of really analyzing, but it it takes a long time. You really have to be patient. You know, word of mouth is not, but we had some really great architects in the beginning and that was enough business for us. I mean, I could only handle like, you know, 10 projects at a time. That was like the most I could handle. And that yeah. was, that was plenty. Um, a lot of projects. Yeah. But yeah, that, I don't know if I answered your question. Well, I think it's just giving people a sense of it takes time, to use your word, of being patient. Mm -hmm. It takes patience to really get to a place where you are a word-of-mouth business and you can rely on that. And because you had perhaps the success of the show, perhaps it was mm -hmm. because you had some really great architects who could feed yeah. you clients um, you didn't, you didn't have to really focus on marketing mm -hmm. heavily in the beginning, but as you grow, you have to even outgrow your word of mouth. If you expect to go to the next Definitely. level, you say, well, that's great, Definitely. but that's not enough. I have to have the pipeline right. ready to go at any time. See, that's what happened to me is that I had relied just on that word of mouth and I got to a place where the business wanted to grow and I was not really able to sustain where it wanted to go grow, but I needed to have that revenue. I wanted that revenue. So, um, we didn't, and we didn't have the infrastructure in place to, you know, accept mm -hmm. it. So, um, yeah, that's a, and we, so we had started to market and started and marketing is, it's hard in the beginning. Like yeah. we did, even as, even having a 14 year old business, we started doing email campaigns. We started, hired a social media manager. Yeah. We started, we did a couple events, 
but even it's slow. Like yeah. it is not, there is not, game. your phone does yeah. not start ringing. We might've gotten like one or two projects. We started getting little connections with other architects. It is very hard yeah. and it is not something that, and it can, you know, even me having a business for a long time, I still felt very um, defeated about our initial um, marketing. I think that the, the, the thought is marketing is like a faucet. And as soon as I pay attention to it and turn it on, not They'll at come, all. and it's not like that. It's really priming for mm-hmm. the next three years, the next exactly. five years. You exactly. really have to have this, how am I going to acquire these people over time? And how do I con- connect with them and find all these touch points with these people, even when they're not in the pipeline, when they yes. don't have anything to offer me, so that when they do, yes. I'm top of mind. I'm what yeah. comes up. Yeah, I learned so much studying marketing now. Like over the past year, I've I didn't even know much about marketing, but mm-hmm. it is a science. Yeah, and if you really understand the efforts that you have to put out, and that it that and how it actually works, like there's a whole algorithm and how it mm-hmm. actually trickles down in your cash flow. It's it's takes you you definitely should be prepared for a loss in your first year, and even up to the third year, you yeah. know, before you actually break even. That's normal. That's good. That's nothing to feel badly about. When you're just breaking into business, the, uh, the thought of a loss doesn't make any sense. Yeah. But there's usually a rule that if you're not losing in the first three years that you're not spending your money wisely. Exactly. Um, yeah. So exactly. It, it's true. And I think that depends, having said all of that, it depends on the type of business you have and your um, appetite for loss. Exactly. If you're running a small service business that relies on that sort of income, Mm -hmm. maybe that's okay that you're not taking those losses. I think this is when you're looking at growth mode and you're really looking to scale and marketing because becomes a meaningful vehicle for that growth. Mm -hmm. But I want people who are listening to hear that not every business can sustain that. And you don't have, you don't have to. And you and I even talked about, you've spent some time really looking at, um, kind of an, what an infusion of cash would do for your business in terms of scaling. And you've been listening to a lot of different people who are wanting to advise you in, in ways that you should go. And I think you said something that was brilliant before we started the podcast about your own appetite for growth and your own comfort with, do I want to lose $600,000? Can you tell us a little bit about, do you remember what you were saying? Yeah. I mean, I, I felt very, um, I really wanted to get started and I needed capital. You need capital sometimes to get started. And so, and I didn't want the, and I also didn't want the business to be like, I really wanted it to be a good business. I didn't want it to fail, even though I know that, but like you just said, you have to lose some money. So but that's not failing. That's not just failing, but I didn't want it yeah. to, t- I didn't want to take a lot. I was nervous yeah. about the amount of loss. Yeah. So again, I started asking different people about, you know, people, different experts, like marketing experts or business people who are already in business. And I got so many different answers. And it was really stressful and frustrating because I would hear things like, well, you need to invest at least 600,000 the first year. And, um, you know, you're going to lose, end up taking a loss of 400, the first 200, the second, and all those numbers just at, I didn't feel right for me Mm -hmm. to start this organic process. I really felt like, what do I really think a starting operating budget should be? And what is some really reasonable marketing dollars that will create revenue, but not this. But when you get investors involved and when you have people at the table who are going to give you a lot of money, they want their money back and they want a lot of money right away. So you're Mm -hmm. pressured. 
And so I was in that conversation for a while, like, oh yeah, I want, I want an investor and I want, I want to, I want to share equity and I want to get this thing going. And that was very scary because that didn't feel right to me. And it, it just, I think you have to pause and just think like, do you want to lose your say? Do you want to, maybe sometimes you do, you don't mind sharing equity. I don't think it's a bad thing. You just have to really analyze like, do I want that right away? The Mm -hmm. beginning of my company, or do I want to try to slowly organically grow it, which might feel a little disappointing because you want, you see a multi-million dollar business at some point, but then how do you, how do you go from A to, to B and you have to trust that that organic process will probably lead to where you want to go, but maybe a little slower. Yeah. You know, and you can set, I think, time, time limits, um, or parameters on, I'm going to organically grow this, do what's comfortable, trust my gut for two years. Mm -hmm. At the end of two years, I'm going to revisit Mm -hmm. the infusion of major cash, right? Taking on investment, becoming an authority. Cause that last two years I really learned what's the ratio of Mm -hmm. marketing dollars that need to be spent on revenue. I now can, I can by percentage say, right. well, if we've spent a hundred thousand and we gained mm-hmm. 500,000, I know that if we spend double, we're right. going to gain double. So, I mean, there's, we can come up with some logical conclusions that are comfortable to us. Mm-hmm. So I think it's, it's, it's again, what is your appetite for that? Yeah. Yeah, I think definitely. it's important to trust your gut. And I loved that you were talking about that early on because it gives us some leeway. It's sort of saying this is an elastic process. Mm-hmm. What are you comfortable with? It's mm-hmm. not a one size fits all. Not at all, ever. I don't think there's any any project that yeah. just fits into a box. I yeah. like that you're validating yeah. that for us. <laughs> so um, I'm going to kind of jump to you giving advice to those who are listening who've said, okay, Heather seems to have it all together. She's got this great story. She's a mom. She's got two businesses running. You know what the day, you're nodding at me. You know what the day-to-day is like. And that's what's so great about being able to hear these stories. It's people saying, it's crazy. It's Mm -hmm. messy. It's not it's not linear. It's not a straight Mm-mm. line from A to B, no. but you can get there yeah. and you can do it. So for all those women who are ready to join the ranks of female founder, what is the one thing you would like to leave them with? If you want to join, absolutely join. Yeah. Don't look back. Yeah. And just know you'll get there and um, be okay. You, it's, you have to, there's been a lot of times that I have wanted to give up you know, and I just imagine, like I imagine myself on a mountain and all my dreams, just like if I give up, they just all fall to the ground, crumble. But then it's just always looking up, always just keep taking that next step. And um, it, it is, it, it's messy for all of us. It doesn't matter what we look like on the surface. It doesn't, I mean, I have days where I, my cash flow is a disaster. I, everyone's called in sick. My kids need me. Like it's bad. Yeah. And but that's just a day. It doesn't usually last. Like usually there's maybe one or two bad days and then they're gone. You know, you just keep calm and don't lose sight of your goals. I absolutely think if you want to be a founder, go for it. Go for it. Go for I it. love that. Um, so we're not going to let you get away with 
leaving, um, even though that was so wise and a nice way to wrap up, we're going to go into our uh, fun little get to know Heather a little bit more section called our quick six. Okay. So I'm going to ask you six questions and just tell us what comes, what comes okay. to the top of your mind. So do you prefer a nine to five or a flex schedule? Flex. I don't, has anyone ever said not? Oh yes. One said flex within a nine to five. Routine. <laughs> I think it was Sarah Magadoff. Oh yes. Um, she's so funny. Yeah. Um, do you prefer vacationing, um, at the mountain or at the mountains on the beach or yeah, in the mountains at the mountains? Oh, I love them both, but beach probably. Okay. Okay. Yeah. All of us, California girls, I tell yeah. you. Um, and then working from a home office or an out of home office home. Yeah. Uh, is that because of the family thing or is... Yeah, because I like to be... Uh, yeah, connected. I mean, I, I'm open to... I would like to always have a home office, but I would like to maybe have one yeah. out of the home too. Yeah. But I don't know. I just want to be around. Yeah. I don't want to miss anything. Yeah, yeah. <sighs> um, and then do you prefer working alone or with a team? Team. And I think the hardest question, Thai or Mexican food? Thai. Oh, yes. Okay. Somebody oh, said um, recently, and it, just hot. As long as they're both hot, I don't yeah, care. Spicy. Yeah, spicy. Spicy, spicy, spicy. Yeah. And then, so you know, this podcast um, is called Liberty Sessions. Our platform is called Liberty. And it's because we are hoping to liberate women through entrepreneurship. Mm. So if, if I asked you, Heather, what does it mean for you to be liberated? How would you answer that? I would say that the sum of all my choices um, would lead to happiness, my mm. maximum happiness. I mean, I feel like if I could get that right, that all the things that I decide to do would create happiness for me and all the people around me um, and anyone that I touch or connect with, that I could bring a little bit of that from a choice that I made. I guess that's, I mean, because really if we're not liberated, it's because of most of the time because of our choices, except people from other countries sure. that are being, sure. you know, or people here in our own country that yeah. are oppressed. But what what do we have the ability? But for to me, do? I mean, I don't live that life. Yeah. So for me, it's about my choices and and that you know I haven't gotten there yet with all 100. percent But yeah, <laughs> I'm on I the think road. it's. I don't. I don't think any of us will. I think it's the the journey to it that that is the important part. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Thank you for sharing your story. Thanks for liberating us through your mm -hmm. story. Um, it's been great to have you, and it's. Um, Really great to see the success that has come over the last uh, several years, mm -hmm. but just to see you fulfilling kind of what you set out to do. And we are so excited in 2018 mm -hmm. to see what Lumber and Linen is going to offer us. And for our Liberty listeners, thanks for tuning in. We'll have the show notes on Heather and all the things she mentioned. So again, if you're driving, don't pull over. You can just <laughs> log on to libertyforher.com and check everything out. Until next week, we'll see you guys later. Bye. Thank you, Netta. Liberty Sessions is broadcast on all platforms, Apple Podcast, SoundCloud, Google Play, and Stitcher. If you like what you've heard, please subscribe, rate, and review Liberty Sessions on Apple Podcast. It helps us to know if these episodes are inspiring and equipping you to launch and grow your own ventures. You can also find us every day on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at Liberty For Her. And please leave a comment using the hashtag Liberty Sessions. We want to hear your thoughts, suggestions, and brilliant ideas. Liberty Sessions is produced by Netta Jones and Elizabeth Wyndham and music by Jordan Flower. 